Well, thanks for being at Grace today. We're glad you're with us, and uh, thanks uh, for being here. We, we're doing a, a several campuses now, so there's three campuses. We're all starting a brand new series this Sunday. We have a, our first Sunday of our public launch in Grace Point in Northwood, Ohio. is happening this Sunday. So big day for us, and we're glad you're here with us. The new series that we're going to start today is uh, it's called Fight. And it's about relationships. Maybe you got one of the mailings in your, uh, in your mailbox or maybe a friend in, invited you to come. But we're glad that you're with us. Relationships always take work. That's the fight part of it. You can't drift into a great marriage, great friendship, great relationship, great family. It takes intentionality. It takes effort. It takes work. You have to fight for it. A couple weeks ago, I was in uh, Seattle and flew into Tacoma, Seattle area, and was meeting with some church leaders, and we were meeting with a, a national author, and the, the trip came up kind of fast, and it, because of the things we're doing around here, it was a busy time, and I hadn't really thought much about the trip, jumped on the plane, came, we were, part of the meeting was meeting with a, a national Christian author, I hadn't read his book, so I was reading his book on the plane, trying to get that done, finish, finish the book on the tarmac in Seattle, and uh, ended up staying, at a, staying in Tacoma, but meeting on Sunday with some leaders in Seattle, church leaders and stuff. But did the trip, and it was just a blur because I was very busy. You know how life gets, happens to all of us. Heading back, about a day after I got back in Ohio, it was just two weeks ago, I realized that a close friend of mine lived out in that area. And so I, I looked him up, and I was checking in, and and turns out he was the best man at our wedding. His name's Scott. And I realized he lives in Tacoma. A very interesting guy actually lives on a boat in Tacoma. But anyway, and so I contacted him. I said, wow, I was just in, just in the Seattle-Tacoma area. He goes, well, where were you staying? I'm like, well, most of our meetings were Seattle, but I was actually staying in Tacoma. Somebody put me up at a, a nice hotel there called All of Us Pastors called Hotel Murano. And he's like... You're kidding me. He's like, that motel is 10 minutes from my boat. If you would have looked out the window of your motel, you could have seen my boat. And, you know, and then he's, you were out here. I haven't seen this guy in like 15 years, maybe 20 years. And, and he's like, you were right here? You're kidding me. You didn't cut. And I felt like, you know, what kind of a friend are you? I felt terrible. But that, that's the thing about it. Relationships, you don't drift into great relationships, right? You got to make time. And life gets busy, and we're doing all these things. The mo no matter how busy you are, the most important part of your day, the most important thing you do, it's relationships. That's all that lasts for eternity is relationships. That's the most important thing in our lives but a lot of times we get so busy with life, that's what suffers. So today we're, we're talking, we're hitting it broad. We're talking about relationships because we're talking about marriage, uh, family, just a whole nine yards. And I thought I would start with a topic that I think is, is maybe the most foundational topic in making relationships work. And this comes from after 27 plus years of marriage and family counseling. And I believe that topic is forgiveness. 
we all get forgiveness, and, and we all know what that means. But where forgiveness, and it can be hard, but where forgiveness gets really hard is when somebody has done something, has wronged us repeatedly, right? They've done the same thing over and over. And then we're wondering, and then you forgive them, and then they do the same thing again, and you forgive them, and they do the same thing again, and you know, you're, you're close to this person, you care about them, you forgive them again. And then at some point you're going, whoa, I'm not doing this anymore. Because I know you're just going to do the same thing. And so the question is, where do we draw the line? Where do we, where do we say enough is enough? Well, that's what we need to figure out. Because forgiveness is so important to relationships, we have to know this. And, and we need wisdom beyond us. I mean, we, we need somebody to help us with this. And so we actually have access to the wisest man who ever lived, who's also the greatest moral teacher in history. His name is Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, the first four books of the New Testament are four eyewitness accounts of the life of Christ, written in the first century, written in the lifetimes of the followers of Christ. And, and so as we tap into that, but we t- and, and so we know forgiveness, God's big on forgiveness, but what about this repeated forgiveness? I mean, where do we stop? Where do we draw the line? Wouldn't it be great... If, we, if Jesus was right here today and we could ask him that question. Okay, Jesus, I forgave this guy like five times. When, when is enough enough? Well, luckily for us, that question was asked to Jesus Christ. Actually, Peter asked that question. And it's recorded for us by an eyewitness named Matthew. And we can find that in Matthew chapter 18. And so... If you have your Bibles or a device, you can turn to Matthew 18. If you're using one of the Bibles on the chair rack in front of you, I think it's page number 978. I think that's right. Give it a try. Uh, Matthew 18. And otherwise, you can look uh, look up at the screens. But let me give you the context before we dive into this. In Matthew 18, Jesus has been teaching about relationships and specifically... He's teaching about relationships that go sideways, relationships that are strained, they're messed up. And so he's telling people how to fix that. When when things are bad, how you fix it. And when he's done, Peter then comes up to Jesus and he asks a follow-up question. And so he's been talking about it, Peter asks a follow-up question, and it's recorded for us in verse 21 of Matthew 18. It goes like this. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? It's kind of interesting that, Jesus, that Peter says to Jesus, how many times do I forgive him? Seven? The reason is because rabbinical thought in the first century said you forgive somebody three times. And then the fourth time they do it, the same thing, you don't forgive them anymore. And it seems like Peter has been learning from Jesus... And he gets that Jesus' standards are a little higher, a little tougher. So he doubles that, and he throws on another one, seven, a perfect number. Up to seven times, Jesus? And then here's what Jesus answers. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, 
but up to 70 times 7. Whoa. So Jesus throws out, no, it, it's not 7 times, Peter. It's, it's 7 times 7, which is 490, which the, the number is not so important. What he's saying is we're supposed to keep on forgiving. And that's pretty tough. And so then Jesus follows that up with a short story called a parable to explain his teaching about forgiveness. And it goes in the next verse, verse 23. For this reason, so Jesus tells the story, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before the king, before him saying, have patience with me and I'll repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Story's over, and now Jesus follows up with a closing statement. He says, My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Now, as we look at this passage of Scripture, basically, as we work through this about forgiveness, I want to, I want it to see how this passage answers three main questions about forgiveness. First is, why is forgiveness necessary? Second is, how do we do forgiveness? And then third is, what is forgiveness? So, why is forgiveness necessary? How do we do forgiveness? And what is it? That, that's how we're going to go through this. Now, why is forgiveness necessary? Well, forgiveness is necessary because we are all flawed people. We're all messed up. The Bible says we, we're all sinners or we've all sinned, meaning that we've all done things that God says are wrong. Every single one of us. And some people are a little confused on that because they don't see themselves as being flawed or necessarily being sinners. And so if you need a little help with that, most people get it, but if you're, if you're not getting that, if you need a little help, a couple things you can do. One is you can actually go to the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament 
and you can read what God's standard is for us. And it doesn't take long reading that standard that you realize that you and I have both broken God's standard of righteousness, what God says we should do. We've all, we've all messed that up. If you, if, if you, there's a shortcut. The second way is you just ask your spouse, you know, and then boom, they'll, they'll let you know, and you don't even have to read. They'll just tell you immediately if you're not into reading. But either way, we are all flawed people, but we're in relationships. But being flawed, we're always doing things that will end up offending other people. It's just going to happen. And so the deal is, why is it necessary? Well, it's necessary because, we because we're flawed and we're in relationships, we're going to have to figure out forgiveness. Otherwise, it will destroy our relationships. Now, there's actually another reason for Christians. Not everybody here is a Christian. But if you happen to be a Christ follower, well, then there's a second reason that forgiveness is necessary. And that is because God, your king, commands you to forgive. So those are the two reasons. One, if you're not a believer. Two, if you're a believer, that we need forgiveness. How many of you ever heard a couple saying or somebody, you know, maybe their marriage is rough or they're going through some tough stuff tough stuff and they're maybe contemplating divorce and they'll say something like this we are just so incompatible anybody hear that phrase thrown around I, yeah. two or three of, okay yeah or maybe more yeah we hear that thrown around a little bit yeah we're so incompatible you know we're, we're all incompatible all of us are in, why because we're messed up flawed people and we will always do things that will offend the other person. It's just a matter of time. And so we need to get that. What we need to learn is how to be happily incompatible for the rest of our lives. That's what we're working on. How to be happily incompatible. That's what forgiveness is all about. And that's what we're going to do. It's the key uh, to making relationships work. Now, as Peter asked this parable... There's got to be a point, you know, so he comes up to Jesus. He's talking about, Jesus is talking about forgiveness and reconciliation, how to, make, how to make relationships better. And then Jesus, Peter comes up to talk to Jesus, and he says, well, he asks this question, follow-up question, saying, what if my brother, and brother means somebody he's connected to, another believer, actually, so somebody that Peter has a relationship with, he's a friend, he's saying, how many times, where do I draw the line on forgiving this guy? And then Jesus says, and then he throws out a pretty generous, because the rabbis were only saying three, he throws out a pretty generous seven times. And then, no. Jesus says, no, seven times. Seventy. You know, he's saying a bunch of times. And then he tells the story. Now, at some point in the story, Peter probably figures out he's in the story. I don't know if you caught it, because if you're a believer, you're in the story too. Because basically, Jesus tells the story, there's a king, king wants to settle accounts. Now, he uses the word slaves, but really slaves, servants. What we know, because of how this story flows, this is not a slave the way we think of slaves. This is a government official. And we know that because he owes this huge sum of money. And basically, the, the king forgives this guy this huge debt, and then this guy goes out and he doesn't want to forgive somebody on his level his debt, Right? A smaller debt. 
Well, no doubt, as he tells the story, somewhere in there, Peter's going, oh, I'm in the story. And by the time the story ends, because then he's saying, yeah, I've been forgiven a debt, but then, I'm not, and then I don't want to forgive this brother of mine because I'm kind of sick of it, and I don't want to forgive. And probably he's kind of thinking, yeah, sorry I, ever, I'm sorry I even brought it up. Because Jesus is like, boom, 490 times, keep going. You know, unlimited forgiveness. So that's how it's all breaking down. Well, the, the thing is, if that's why forgiveness is necessary, then the next question is, how do we do forgiveness? How does forgiveness work? Now, it works from two different sides. The, the easier side is if we've offended somebody. How many here has ever offended somebody? We, yeah, if we've all offended somebody. And right now, probably somebody is offended by us. And if not, give it a day. You know, it'll happen. So if we've done something wrong to somebody, then we have the easier job. What we have to do is go ask for forgiveness. A lot of times we don't know how to do that. I remember when I was in seventh grade in New Mexico is where I lived at the time. And we had a bully in seventh grade. He a big guy. He was bigger than all of us. He was stronger than all of us. He kind of shoved people around. And I didn't really like this guy, but I tried to stay on his good, good side, you know, for self-survival. And uh, you know, so we're in this class. And this guy, you know, he could just stomp me into a puddle. And one time, it was kind of a crowded classroom. And we were sitting at larger tables with chairs all around. It was an art class. What am I doing in art? You know, right there, problem. And so we're there. And then we were dismissed to get our supplies. And the supplies were on one wall. And the wall was just full of drawers. I don't know if you ever saw that. You pull out a drawer, pull out a drawer, and you get your stuff. And so we're going to get our drawers. And this, this bully guy, he just shoved people all the time. You know, you try to keep an arm's length away from him. But he was behind me, and he sho- I didn't see him come, and he shoved me. It's crowded. And he shoved me. And that caused me to bump into this nice little girl that I didn't really know. And then she had a drawer out in front of her face. And so when I bumped into her, bam! Her head hit this wooden drawer that was sticking out of the wall. And I I was just like stunned. And I knew this guy had shoved me and, you know, here she is. and, And she is hurt. And the whole class made a loud thud. Boom! And the whole class just stopped. And everybody's looking. And this girl kind of re- re- gets her composure. And she starts turning around to me. Because she doesn't know what has happened. And I'm watching her as she starts to turn around. And I'm trying to figure out what am I going to say. Because I've just, you know, she's bleeding. It's terrible. It's just terrible. So as she's turning around, I'm trying to figure out, you know, and it's, I, I don't know how to ask for forgiveness. She starts to turn around. Before she gets all the way around, I just turn around and hit that bully <laughs> as hard as I could in the face. No. No. <laughs> no, I'm serious. And I knocked him over a chair. And then, because I kind of had the advantage and I knew this guy could clean my clock... I bent over and started hitting him a few more times because I knew he was just going to tear me up. But what I'm saying is, here I, that's, here I picked a fight. So why did I do that? 
Did I do that because of vengeance? Or, no, I did that because I didn't know what to say to this girl. And before she faced me, I'd rather get stomped into the ground by the bully than face this girl that I've hurt. We need to know how to ask for forgiveness. Might save us a beating. We need to learn how to ask. So the first step is when we're in relationships and we've done somebody wrong, we've got to know how to, we just have to do it. And when you don't know how to do it, just ask. It's not that hard. You know, I could have just said to this girl, I'm so sorry. I was pushed, you know. But rather than even try to say all that, I'm just like, uh, I'm just, just kick me out, you know. Which, you know, teacher broke it up. And, you know, it's just, it's just a big old mess. So the easy part is to ask. We've got to learn that. Just ask. If you know you've offended your 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 spouse, or you know you've done wrong, and you're just kind of waiting for the, for the chill, the ice age to melt, and everything's going to eventually be okay. If you know you're in the wrong, ask for forgiveness. Don't wait till they kind of get over it. That doesn't really restore your relationship the way it should be. you got to ask. But that's the easy part. The hard part is, how do you forgive how do you forgive someone, especially if they've offended you over and over and over again? Well, Jesus told the story to answer that question. And the, the how to forgiveness, how to forgive somebody else, is really we can see it in the king's actions in the story. The king did three things when this guy came up and pleaded for forgiveness. First, as this guy throws himself face down before the king, begging for mercy. The first thing is the king felt compassion for him. Now, it's interesting because we look at this word compassion, and really what it means is that our heart goes out to somebody else. That's what compassion, our heart goes out to them. And when our heart goes out to somebody, what we're doing is we're identifying with them. So the king, his heart goes out, he feels compassion. What's interesting, as we look at Jesus Christ as our, our number one model of how we should do life, somebody once did a study because Jesus reacted to all kinds of things in his environment and answering questions like Peter. And, you know, he went through his, his life teaching. He had three years of a teaching ministry from when he was 30, 33, before he was crucified. And we see all these reactions. Well, somebody went through and they said, well, sometimes Jesus reacted with emotion. Not all the time, but sometimes. So they categorized all those. And whenever Jesus did react with emotion, emotion, the number one emotion he reacted with was always compassion. That's what he did most often when he reacted emotionally. It was with compassion, compassion for others. And it's the same thing with this king. For no reason, really, he has compassion on this official who owes him buku bucks, a lot of money, he lets him go. So first of all, have compassion. And then the second thing that he did is he forgave the debt. This is tricky because he, he erased the debt. He said, eh, you don't owe me anymore. Don't worry about it. This is a huge debt, and, and he's just kind of let off. 
When somebody hurts us, whether it's marriage, relationship, friendships, whatever, when they hurt you somehow, we, we have a saying. We say, they owe us, or they owe us an apology. We use that terminology for a reason, because probably they do owe you. Now, that doesn't mean that some people go around and, and they're very easily offended, and people do little things, and they should probably just let it go, but they make a big deal. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, when people do major things to us, we have this feeling they owe us. And they, if it's a major thing, they do owe you. They owe you. Because there's a debt has been uh, made by what they did. Now, that could be, hey, I used your stuff and I broke it and so I owe you. Or, but it can also be um, because of hurt feelings. It could also be because of, you know, what you've done to somebody's reputation or what you've done to your relationship or that you've heard, you know, heard so a thousand ways to hurt somebody. And we're, we know it's legitimate and, and we know we owe them. So the debt's canceled. Can you imagine how this guy felt? He didn't ask for the debt to be canceled. He goes into the king. He throws himself down. He just says, have patience with me. And I will repay you everything. And so we know he's some government official, some because he owes all this money. No slave would be able to owe that much money. And then the king says, debt canceled. Not, I'll give you a year, I'll give you 10 years, I'll give you some time, scrape, see what, you know, pay me this much by Monday. No, he just says, debt canceled. And the guy had to be going, what? And the debt canceled. What do you mean debt canceled? And the king's like, it's my money. I forgive you. Debt canceled. Done. The king absorbs the debt. You know, that, that's what happens. And then the third thing that the king does is he lets them go. You're free. Boom. Go. Do your own thing. Go on with your life. You owe me nothing. That, the third part there, that's kind of a tr little tricky sometimes. Because sometimes what we say is, I forgive you. But what we mean is, I'm going to kind of try to overlook this this time, but we both know you still owe me. That's not really forgiveness. You have to let it go. Wipe the slate. Forgiveness means the person who legitimately owed you no longer owes you because you have cleaned the slate. And that's, that's hard because I know some people have been hurt so deeply by people that, that we could bring tons of people, we could bring you up here and you could tell your story about how somebody's hurt you so deeply. You could probably tell it in such a way that we would all be on your side. But if you're telling it like that, you've probably not forgiven, really. Or, or you wouldn't still have that, that bitterness and anger. You'd still have that resentment. That's what would kind of propel your story. Relationships cannot survive that type of resentment that gets carried forward. You have to forgive, and part of forgiving, part of forgiving is letting it go. 
they don't owe you anymore. You don't bring it up again. You don't throw it in their face. You let it go. It's wiped clean. And then the last question we're going to cover is, what is, what is forgiveness? You know, we're talking about, we're talking about how to do it. But exactly what is it? First of all, and we've kind of picked this up from the story, forgiveness is always costly. Forgiveness always costs you something. If it doesn't cost you something, then they didn't need to ask you for forgiveness and you, and you haven't forgiven them and don't need to maybe. Because real forgiveness, it always costs you something. This morning, I was trying to get here early, big Sunday for us, and uh, so I was leaving the house just after 6.30, and everybody in my house was asleep, so I'm coming to church before everybody else, and so I'm trying to keep it dark, and I'm trying not to make too much noise, and I get to my front door, I'm about to leave, got my satchel, I'm ready to head out the door, and I think, and the way our house is, there's a little opening and there's some stairs, and there's a landing, and our bedrooms are upstairs, and as I turn the doorknob, I hear a noise, and I think, oh, Pam's stirring up in our bedroom. So I glance up over my shoulder, and I look up to that landing, and nope, there's nothing there, and I don't see a light on. And about the time I turn back to go out the door, I realize Pam's face is like right here, like two feet from me that I had just missed. And I went, whoa! You know, not, not that I don't enjoy seeing my wife. I enjoy seeing my wife. It just, it was unexpected. I didn't know she was standing right there. And then she started laughing, I started laughing. We were laughing about that. Here's what I can tell you about marriage. In marriage, you will always face the unexpected. Marriage is never the way you expect it to be. So you, you might as well just get comfortable with that. Marriage is never the way we envision it. And a lot of times what happens in marriages is that we have this dream, we have this vision of how marriage is going to be in the future, and then we get married to a sinner, and it doesn't turn out that way. And the other person, they're thinking the same thing. And so what you planned, how you thought marriage would be, it's not like that, because that's just not who your spouse is, and it just, as, as you come together, it's just a little different. They didn't have the same vision of marriage that you did. And so what has to happen is you have to dump those expectations. You have to let that go. But even that is, it kind of has a cost to it. Well, this is the way I always dreamed marriage would be. Yeah, well, get over that and just have a good marriage. It won't be exactly the way you thought it would be, but it could still be a great marriage. But you have to give up something. You have to lose something. You don't want to hold on to what your vision was because it'll create bitterness against this other person that, that may not really be doing anything. you got to let that go. In the story that Jesus told, forgiveness is always costly. The king absorbs the debt. We read this story and it's easy for us to think, well, he's a king, yeah, so he just wiped off the debt. No. The king absorbed a $10,000 dollar or 10,000 talent debt. This is an astronomical sum. That's how we know the slave must be some government official because this is national debt size. A denarii that shows up later in the story 
represents one day's wage. So 100 denarii, we'll get to that in a few minutes, that's several months' labor. 6,000 denarii equals one talent. You start doing the math on this and you realize this guy's talking about like over a billion dollars. He owes the king over a billion dollars. It's, it's debt, national debt. That's why we know he has to be an official or something. But when that debt goes away, what happens? The king is 10,000 talents poorer, right? He, he wipes the debt away. He gives up even the chance of getting that back. And so the king ends up being poorer than he was. And it's substantial, even for a king. That may be the income of an entire country, 10,000 talents in a year. And he gives it up. Forgiveness, what is it? It's always costly. And sometimes we incur costs we don't even know what to do. And, and relationships the most important thing. But just little things. I remember one time I was um, in Central African Republic. And I had preached at a church, you know, which is neither here nor there. But that did not go well because translator and everything, the pastor should have just preached. But we're there. And then I go to his house for a meal. And, there, and the very, it was a large church, but, uh, you know, the pastor didn't have a lot. And in their culture, you go in and the men eat first, and then you see the women who prepared the meal, and the kids are kind of playing outside. And basically what they're doing is they're waiting until the men get done eating, then they come in and eat whatever's left. And so you're knowledgeable of that, and you go in. And so I, you know, I was, didn't get much, but they actually had some beef there, thin beef, little piece. And so I got a little, you know, and it was, that was kind of a big deal. So I took a piece of that a small piece, knowing that that was their big thing. They don't normally would do that. And, and, and so it's kind of awkward. We're sitting in this little room, and, uh, and I've got some silverware, and I'm eating, and I got this little piece of meat, and, and everybody's kind of watching me. And it's just awkward. And then so I was going to try to take a piece of this meat, and I hadn't grabbed a a knife, I only had a fork and a spoon. And it was one of these forks that has a, pla it's a steel fork, but it kind of had the round plastic handle and then steel on the end. I don't know if you saw a fork like that. But I'm trying to cut this piece of meat. This piece of meat, is, it's only this thick, but it's tough. And I can't cut it with my fork. I don't want to stick the whole thing, you know, it's a piece like this big, into my mouth. And so I start putting the pressure on. And the fork snaps and flies across the room. And so all these people, they're all watching me. I'm trying to eat this meat. I'm balancing it on because I'm sitting in their living room on my knee. I'm getting after it. And, and, and the hosts are terrified. You know, they're, they're horrified. And I don't know what to say. I just want to replace their fork. You know, it's just, anyway, so I, I don't even know why I got on that route. I didn't even tell first, story, first service that. But what I'm saying is sometimes we'll do something. We don't even know how to fix that. That's, that's just a thing. That's a fork. I still feel bad to this day. It's a fork. They forgave me. I still feel like, man, if I'm ever over there, I'm buying some silverware. <laughs> Taking it over there. But relationships, way more important. You know, I'll think more about a fork than I will about the people I love. I've done way worse than that. 10 years ago, and I'm not still going, ah, I wish I wouldn't have done that. 
It's always costly. Forgiveness, what it is, it's always costly. And forgiveness is always reproduced or it's always repeated. This is the heart of the second half of the story that Jesus told. You know, the king forgives the debt, right? That's the first half. But then the second half of the story is that guy that was forgiven all that debt, that huge, huge debt, then he goes out and then he runs across a guy on his level, another official. And he grabs him by the throat and says, pay me what you owe me. He owed him a hundred denarii, which is a few months' pay. It's, it's a decent-sized debt. Nothing like 10,000 talents, but a, a, a decent debt. And the guy says the same thing to him that this guy said to the king. Have patience, I'll repay you. No. And the king hears about it, recalls the guy, and punishes him. Why did the king do that? Because the king realized the man's character. That the forgiven wasn't forgiving. And what Jesus is telling us by telling us a story, what he's teaching us is that if we've received huge, big-time forgiveness we will have a heart to forgive others. And so now how does that apply to us? Well, if you're sitting here and you're a follower of Jesus, not everybody is, but if you are, then this has huge implications for you and me. Because Jesus is telling us a story to teach us that we don't have the right anymore to withhold forgiveness from another person because of how God has forgiven us. And this is one of those areas in marriage where Christians have an advantage over non-Christians. Kind of bear with me and see what I mean. I, I think you might agree with me here, e even if you're not, not a believer. Christians have an advantage in this because in order to be a Christian, you have to understand big-time forgiveness. Because to be a Christian means that you have come to, to the realization that you have offended God. You've, he made you. He loves you. He gave you life and me life. And then he and he gave us freedom, so that we could we could we have the opportunity to love him back voluntarily. He doesn't make us robots. He doesn't make us always do the right thing. People wonder, well, how can a good God allow all the sin in the world? Well, here's how: because he, he has created us, but he allows us to have free will, so we have the ability to love God back. But we we all misused our freedom. And instead of loving God back, we did what we wanted to do and violated God's commands, which ended up hurting a bunch of people. And we're all in the same boat. And it gets worse. Because God is just, and we want justice, we understand justice, 
Everybody wants to live in a place where there's justice because without it you have anarchy. Could you imagine our country today if we had no justice, no wrongs were punished, everybody just got off? It'd be crazy, right? It'd be dangerous, right? Anybody with me? It wouldn't be safe. Well, God is perfectly just, but in order for him to be just, sin has to be punished. And we just figured out that we're all in the sin camp. We've all offended God. We've all done things wrong. We all owe him. And it, the right thing, the just thing, is that we all be punished. But God still loves us. And so he made a way. And the way he made was by allowing his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth 2,000 years ago, to step down from heaven, clothe himself in humanity, very vulnerable, be born as a baby, grow up with no sin. The only person who walked the planet without sin. And then for his last three and a half years, from when he was 30 to 33, he had a public ministry where he taught people things like we're looking at today. And at the end of that, shortly after he tells this story, he allows himself voluntarily to be tortured to death in order to pay for Kevin's sin debt and your sin debt. And so Jesus Christ pays the right and just penalty for our sin and the, all of our sin. But the only way that gets accredited to our account, the only way that counts for us, is if we respond in faith. Forgiveness, it's always costly, it's always reproduced, and forgiveness is always available from the Father. He offers forgiveness. And the way we get it to count for us is we respond in faith. And here's what that means. It means that we admit that we're sinners and that we've, we've violated God's commands. And then we ask for forgiveness, but basically it's through putting our faith or our trust or our belief in Jesus and what he did, in who Jesus is, the Son of God, and what he did for us, died on the cross, tortured to death on the cross in payment for our sin. And if we put our trust in Jesus alone, that's when we become a believer. That's what being a believer means. I say Jesus alone because we've messed this up with religion. We keep thinking and this is how every other religion in the world is. That in order to be right in the religion, we have to do a bunch of stuff. And if we do enough stuff, then God says, okay, and we, we get above the line, the minimum, and then God accepts us. We climb the mountain high enough toward God, and some, at some point we're okay, and we don't usually know where that is. That's how every religion in the world is. That's not Christianity. Christianity is there's no mountain. God has come all the way down to us and he's paid for our sins and we don't do anything. We can't do one thing, not even a religious thing. We can't do anything to help earn our salvation. We should be, all those good things, we should be doing anyway. They don't earn us anything with God. It's only through faith. It's only by trusting, placing your trust in Christ. 
believing who he is. And that's the most important decision that you'll ever make in your life. And so we're going to get ready to close this service, but before we do, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that message. I don't know what circumstances brought you here. Uh, maybe you've been here many times. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe somebody drug you, drug you here, and we can see your heel marks across the parking lot. <laughs> but the point is, God has you here for a reason. And this is the message that God wants everyone to hear. And he invites you to respond because he wants a relationship with you. And responding, when we put our trust in Jesus, it also implies that in gratitude we will want to follow him. That we'll wanna, we'll, we, we want to just try to do what he wants us to do as best we can. So right now, I'm going to lead in a prayer that just, if, if you have come to the point for the first time that you know of for sure, that you're trusting Jesus, you can express that in prayer, and I'm going to help you with that. You don't have to say it out loud. God knows your every thought. God knows everything about you, and God loves you anyway. But he wants you to respond to him. So let's all bow our heads. And then make this prayer your prayer. Just put it in your own words. You can do it silently. Just express these things to God, this, this faith, this trust, this belief that I'm talking about. And it might sound something like this. So just pray along with me. Father God in heaven, I understand that I'm, I'm a sinner, meaning I've done things wrong against you. And I also understand because of that, the right thing is that I would be separated from you forever. God, I also understand that you, you love me anyway, and you made a way at great cost. You allowed your one and only son, Jesus, to come and be tortured to death, killed in payment of my sins. And God, I thank you for that greatest gift. And right now I'm putting my trust in Jesus alone. Believing who he is and what he did for me. And God, along with that, help me to live your way. Lord, I, I want your spirit to come into my life and just help me to follow you as best I can. God, thanks for loving me, even though I don't deserve it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I'd like to keep our heads bowed for just a moment. And basically, what I want to do is just ask you if, if for the first time you prayed that prayer that you know of, that you weren't confused, that, hey, part of Christianity is doing Christian stuff, that that's what earns you heaven because it's not. That's false religion. It's trusting Jesus and only that that makes you a believer. And if you've done that for the first time without that other interference today, then I'd like you to tell me that by slipping your hand up. But I'm going to start with the, the side over by Smith Road or the side on your left. And I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you down here. I'm not going to ask for your name. None of that. And our heads are bowed, so you have a little bit of privacy. But I'm looking around. I'd like you to just slip your hand up so I can see you, so, I, so we as a staff can pray for you, even though we don't know your name. That's okay. Just put your hand up and right down on the left side of the auditorium right now. Just put it up. Say, 
And that's saying, Kevin, I, I, I prayed that prayer. I gave my life to Christ. Put it up and then just put it right back down. Anyone on this side of the auditorium? Your left. Okay, and how about the right side? Over here, say, I see you right here. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Just pop it up and right back down. So, yeah, Kevin, I, I prayed that prayer. I've, I'm trusting Christ today for the first time that I'm sure of for my salvation. Just put it up and then right back down. Anyone else? Just so I can see you. I see you right there. Thanks. Anyone else? I see you right there. I see you there. Thank you. Father in heaven, we thank you for these who have indicated, hey, I'm trusting in Jesus for my salvation and nothing else, and, and maybe for the first time fully understand that. Father, we pray for them, that you'd help them and strengthen them. Lord, that you'd help us all grow closer to you. And God, we also realize there might be some who didn't get their hand up or, or maybe I didn't see it doesn't matter if, if they express that to you, if they express their faith, Lord, we know they're yours. There may be some here that I probably should have done that, and Lord, we pray that you continue to, to draw them, and there may be some here going, wow, never heard anything like that, pray that you draw them to come back so we could hear more about you, what you've done for them, and how you love us all, no matter who we are where we come from or what we've done. God, thanks for loving us like that. Help us to all grow closer and closer to you. God, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Right now, I'd like everyone to stand. We're going to close with a song, but uh, there's a couple of responses, a couple things during this song. As we sing, and, and right after we're done with the song, service is over, but during the song, if you prayed that prayer, or you should have, or, or you. We have this thing called Room One. It's that corner of our auditorium. Those double doors are going to open. We have a, a just a little pamphlet for you, just to flesh out maybe what you've done if you just put your faith in Jesus. And we'll just hand that to you on the way out. So just say, "Hey, I want one of those booklets." We'll give it to you. You won't even have to break stride. If you have questions or something, we're happy to talk to you. But we just want to get this in your hands so you can look. Look at it privately and check it out. So if, that's if you prayed that prayer or you, or you think maybe you should. For the rest of us, those of you who are believers, uh, if you're struggling with forgiving somebody, you're in a relationship and you're just having a hard time with forgiveness, we invite you to come during this song and pray to your Father who taught us how to forgive. And I know you could do that at your seat, but when you come forward and do that, even though people don't know the details, they know that you're dealing with something, they'll pray for you. Uh, your friends here at Grace. So during the song, if you have something on your heart, come forward, pray, then you can return back to your seat. And uh, thanks for being here at Grace.